Today on Panelism, it's episode 100! We have a giant-sized episode of the books we loved, the books we didn't. Also, Frank Miller's honorary garbage pile. the podcast where we talk about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. I'm Taylor Trask. I'm Todd A. And welcome, folks, to episode number 100. <sighs> Todd, can you believe it? There you go. We need I'll a Vuvuzela. Up. We need that Vuvuzela from uh, World Cup from five years ago. <laughs> Whatever that's, that horrible sound was when you've heard it times a thousand. I did not realize that <laughs> my phone was still Bluetooth to the speaker in my room oh. so this is at like extreme volume so i'm sure my neighbors can hear this like oh geez it was, it was it was serviceable on this side i could hear it anyway we're this is episode 100 um oh my god uh if you've been with us this entire time thank you so much if you haven't here's a quick little history lesson todd and i started this podcast as something called the todd and taylor show back in 2015 and it was kind of on just a you know, just sort of a lark, really. It was, he and I had had these epic discussions not being recorded. And it was like, why don't we just record these? This could be kind of fun. So we started with uh, what we lovingly call episode zero, which is kind of our pilot. Then we had 0.5 and just kind of rolled into this thing called the Todd and Taylor show where we talked about geeky things, TV shows, comics, movies, um, random rants, things like that. And then as that evolved, uh, you know, we had some other things spin off of that. There's a podcast we do called Wednesday in Westeros. That was all of our Game of Thrones talk. So that became its own show. Um, a couple other things kind of became different shows. At one point, we decided that all of our comics discussions were actually what we really, truly enjoyed. So we kind of turned the Todd and Taylor show into this thing called Coffee and Comics, which is, uh, you know, that, that worked really well. That became our, our weekly thing. And we started reviewing books as well as talking about uh, what we were drinking uh, that particular time and place. And, you know, it's that sort of that sort of petered out after a little while. Uh, But more importantly, what we learned along the way was Coffee and Comics brand was was okay, But a lot of people were you know they had shops or other podcasts called that. And we kind of kept looking for a name. We kept looking for a, a brand that really sort of highlighted what we're doing. And, you know, after a lot of a year, year plus of, of back and forth and thinking and just kicking ourselves, trying to figure it out, Todd had the just brilliant <laughs> idea of calling this panelism. And, and so here we are. This is panelism episode 100. Can you believe it? I, I can't. Uh, it's, I mean, I, I can. <laughs> I, I was funny. I was thinking this morning, I was like, what, you know, about 100 and like, you know, are we make? Is it like? Does it need to be a big deal? And I've I've heard other shows where they you know do a good we memorialization of the show itself and like a clip show or something, which we do not have the time to put together. Um, yeah, definitely not. And we talked a lot about you know what what are we going to do on number one hundred because it's it's kind of an arbitrary uh, signifier because 
there are more than 100 episodes in our feed. Um, yeah. But once we started the the numbering system, this is this is what we ended up with. So it's uh, I, but I, I mostly I think I was like when I was thinking it over, I thought I don't know that it's a celebration like outward so much as wow Taylor and I have talked to each other a lot <laughs> over three years in yeah. a very agreeable way about you know what's this is not. Uh, I don't know. You just think of all the interactions in your life and, and how much uh, relative amount of friction there is in that. And it's like, no, we just talk about things we pretty much like. I mean, sometimes we have negative opinions on things, but between the two of us, there's there, there seems to be at least 100 hours of accord on things. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's I, which I, I thought I was I just I guess I was I was uh, cultivating a sense of gratitude like, oh, wow, I'm, I'm grateful we can do that, you know, week after hey, week. If- if we can do it, Israel and Palestine can too. Let's just give them some <laughs> comics and some and some geeky movies and see if they can't come to come to terms on that. I, uh, you know, I was as you were uh, saying that I, I was wondering. Kushner's got that under control. I oh, mean, oh, that's right, the Kush. <laughs> Kushner's got it. Yeah. No, I was as you were saying that I was wondering, like, is it is it disappointing that we don't have like that one episode that was like the epic argument that almost tore us apart? You know, like that mm. seems it seems like that's almost kind of a, a badge of honor in some in some podcasts to have we that might one get episode. to it today <laughs> Ooh, we may keep listening and we may i guess in in a tradition though uh going back to coffee and comics i do want to ask you kind of one final time what are you drinking today todd oh i uh put the can out of reach because i just told you i had a hot soda um, i know <laughs> yeah i'm having a, a so there's a, a, a market called sprouts and i'm having their doctor probiotic soda <laughs> oh not to be confused with any other soda with the name doctor attached to it bunny i know and they couldn't even come up with something like there's a thousand dr uh pepper knockoffs you know that are like dr energy and stuff but this one's just called doctor with probiotics <laughs> if they have a a little line called live sodas that are all probiotic sodas oh this, ooh. This, and so there's zero calories zero sugar like zero everything um and this one is sweetened with monk fruit and it tastes, like a, it tastes like a Dr. Pepper. It sounds like a Portlandia sketch. I'm sorry. Sweetened with monk fruit. What even not. is monk fruit? <laughs> yeah, I've entered that world for sure. Oh, my heavens. Well, I'm drinking uh, yeah. hot white tea out of a rattlesnake mug. Ooh. So, uh, And yes, it is a mug that has like the outside looks like rattlesnake. Uh, it has like the tail is like the handle. The outside is – it's not a real rattlesnake. It's ceramic. But the inside has like a coiled little snake you know, ready to strike at you. So as you drink down the, the beverage, the snake reveals itself. And I've had a couple of friends who I've given this to oh. have a, have a slightly, actually more than slightly, a surprised reaction and almost break it. So I'm, uh, I'm fired up and ready to go. Gotcha. Are there, um, you know, are there moments like you brought up that we've, we've never had a, a, a big, uh, argument on this, you know, like a hair pulling fight or something, but are there, are there, uh, moments from the past three and a half years that stand out to you as like brilliant moments that we've done. Oh yeah. You know what? You put me on the spot. Yes. I the spot, but I, I preloaded some. Do you want me to throw in a couple and then you can, you can speak up when something comes to your mind. Yeah, go ahead. I, I'll tell you, uh, we had, I really love the episodes we did after comic con, I think in 2015 where we did one, um, with my friend Eric Coda, who uh, has been an artist for Marvel and is an artist full time, but um, that was great to hear about his experience being in uh, Artist Alley, 
at Comic-Con, sad note, he's not in there this year. They changed mm. stuff around and they're not like just guaranteeing spots for people that have been in before. Wow. That's um, unusual. Yeah. Uh, and then we also did a follow-up uh, with my friend Michaela, where we talked about, um, among other things, the experience of waiting for Hall H at Comic-Con, which I thought mm. was really interesting. Um, all of mine are like guest spots. And then our friend um, Emily Kelly Kunin, uh, she and her husband had done a, a series that we distributed called Fan Theories, which uh, hopefully they'll get back to, but they've obviously had been busy getting married and such. Um, but she was in a couple episodes with us. I think Wonder Woman mm-hmm. and Supergirl, where we talked about the Supergirl TV show, the Wonder Woman movie. And then notoriously, we did a live YouTube broadcast on the <laughs> night of the election in 2016 that did not <laughs> cheer us. No, It was like meant to distract us from all news, but of course we couldn't help but check news or headlines are getting you know pinged to us and it at least ended in alcohol um and uh you know possibly cannabis and uh uh, xanax for myself um that was that was a i mean i don't know what to think about it but i'll tell you i just i just threw those out because i the guest spots i always thought were really fun and you did a great episode with mike marlowe which i thought was was really cool to listen to as a you know like a um an observer you know just part of the audience like a like a civilian like a, yeah no i i also i like that one i like the guest ones i also like we have a a couple key episodes where we talk about the creative process yeah. or um you know like the in, like the business of making things um so there's a couple different ones i think our 2017 kickoff episode had a, a bunch of like uh comics stuff and then that and and there was a couple yeah. others too so definitely go back and um go through those. I'm, I'm going through our feed as we speak. And some of the titles are almost too fun for their own good. Like there's one episode 27 titled Anthony Hopkins and a lot of naked robots, which I'm assuming was our <laughs> Westworld discussion. So I I'm almost, I almost want to go back and listen to that one. Um, that, that was a uh, Howard's end where we talked about that movie. Yeah. Yeah. yeah <laughs> I don't yeah. actually remember if he was in that. Yeah. Um, and then one called this said that's titled the story is kind of garbagey. Uh, which I forget if that's, oh yeah, that's uh, Deadpool, Civil War, X-Men Apocalypse, and then Suicide Squad. Yeah, so there's a lot, Batman, the Lawnmower Man, what? So yeah, there's a lot of a lot of discussions, but I will say this. It seems like the episodes, the, the, the original Todd and Taylor episodes that I still really like are the ones where we talk about the comics we're reading. So it, yeah, was, it was kind of a natural progression to evolve from that it, it, almost exclusively into a comics-based you know, podcast and then now panelism wonderfully uh wonderfully packages all that up i'll call out uh three more episodes uh all right. one um was number 11 way back in 2015 i think and that was the first one we did live in person um and when you were in nashville and i was in nashville it must have been like end of the year or beginning of the year or something mm-hmm. um and yeah we recorded it in my parents basement like with a like more or less real studio setup. And that was yeah. the first time we'd ever done a live Ooh. podcast together. And that was great. And then that was great. When uh, uh, one time when I traveled out to Denver, we, um, we did two episodes. I can't remember if it was the American gods preview we did, or if we did a actual episode of American gods, but we also did our arrival podcast. And that was great. Yeah. We went and saw arrival. Same movie. time. Yeah. 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 At um, draft house, draft house. Uh, and then 
uh, then went back to your studio and recorded that episode. It was like the most, you know, fresh on your mind kind of episode. That's right. Yeah. That yeah. was great. Yeah. That was like a lot of fun. It just felt like the energy was there. We we're both dialed in. Um, I had just set up my studio in Denver too. So that yeah, was exactly. New and fresh and interesting and, yeah. and all that. Yeah. So a lot of good stuff. So I, you know, if you're listening now, if you, if you're just following us from Instagram and you're checking out the show, or if you've been with us for a little while, go back. Our, our whole catalog from episode zero on is still available. Um, you know, go and find this, you know, find a couple titles you like, uh, maybe revisit some of these that we mentioned and, yeah. uh, you know, just let us know what you think anytime. We were always loving the feedback. We've had several people from Instagram, um, talk to us about the show or write in and say, Hey, I'm listening to the show now. So, Hey, thank you for that. And if you're wanting to follow us on Instagram, uh, we are simply panelism.inc on Instagram. Yes. And with that, I think we should start jumping into what we're, what we're doing today. Let's do it. Um, we we describe panelism as a podcast about the comics and graphic novels worth having on your shelf. Um, and we threw out some ideas about like, should we start with a, you know, should we do a list of a hundred for the hundredth episode? Uh, and that got really out of hand because we knew we would want to maybe throw a couple of details in there for people mm -hmm. who were unfamiliar with that. And also because uh, I, as a, a person who likes to organize everything um, except seemingly his own house, um, wanted to <laughs> organize it in such a way that we had every episode number listed, um, which is kind of a crazy thing. Uh, so 100 seemed too much. So we we decided to break this up into a few segments, and we're going to start with comic books and graphic novels not worth having on your shelf. <laughs> That's right, because they not, they're not all worth having. I'm sorry to say. We try to be as positive as we can. Yeah. Um, and we only try to talk about things that we do. But once in a while, something slips through that it feels we feel it's our duty, dear listener, to warn you away from some of these books so that you don't waste your time yeah. and your valuable money on, you know, on these things that other people think are important works. Some of yeah. them are not. Some of and them are not. You'll notice even from this list that we're giving you today, it is, it is a minority compared to our, our worth having list. That's like, right. That's we right. don't do episodes on stuff we dislike. You know, the, the only time these actually come up in episodes is because we've uh we had already decided to talk about it generally speaking on the mm -hmm. podcast and then we read it yeah <laughs> and then yeah. i was like Ugh. um so i'm gonna, <laughs> gonna talk I'm gonna about start it out with, as we're making this list before we hit record uh i noticed a theme between at least three of the books so we're gonna start with <laughs> the frank miller honorary garbage pile <laughs> oh and it is it is a pile for sure now let's be let's be clear frank miller has done some genius work in his time um, you know, Batman year one, Dark Knight Returns rank among, and then his Daredevil stuff ranks among some of the best, best works of comics in the eighties and, and, you know, potentially of all time. As time has gone on, he has gotten sloppier, more misogynistic, a lot of like, pick your kind of pick your poison. So I guess what's, what's the first book on this list? Yeah, I, I was the only one to suffer through this entire series of the two of us. And that was Dark Knight three the dark nightning or whatever the subtitle was. It was huge. <laughs> it had some crazy subtitle, right? I can't yeah. even remember now. Yeah. yeah. Um, it came out uh, maybe not last year, but the year before. And it was oh, so stretched out between issues and I was buying every issue. And I just, I just decided I'm going to make it to the end. You gave up about four or five books into it. Uh, but we did, we mentioned it in a couple of episodes when we were doing sort of catch all, but I talked about it in like, just sort of, you know, put a period on the sentence in episode number 44. So if you want to go back in our feed, check out that episode, you'll hear about dark Knight three, which just didn't need to be made. No. What about you? What's the next one? Uh, dark Knight strikes again. Um, now this is not a book. <laughs> 
we have actually officially talked about just yet. I mention it because on Instagram, we had a, 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 a viewer slash listener um, respond to my Dark Knight Noir post I put up. And I love the Dark Knight Noir um, just because I love the black and white treatment of that book. It's, it's actually the purest form of Frank Miller because he, you know, he wrote and illustrated the book. And then I forget, I totally, I'm, I'm, I suck. I forget who the colorist is, but I prefer the black and white version. So I was mentioning that on Instagram, somebody said, Hey, I'll do you one better. If you read the dark Knight uh, strikes again in black and white on your iPhone or on a smaller device, it actually kind of works because it feels like a little cheaper, you know, and it's, you can get through it. I, I took him up on that. And over my Christmas break, I actually, I tried to do it. I tried to read the dark Knight strikes again and I'm sorry, there is just nothing. There is no redeeming, redeemable feature or aspect of that book whatsoever. It's not like you can even read it and go, oh, you know, like 9-11 had just happened and this is what he was thinking. None of that. It's just, it is, it is the most just, it's like he got drunk one night and just kept going. And unlike Stephen King, he didn't write Cujo. Um, you know, he woke up the next morning and was like, this is awful. I'm still going to submit it. And DC didn't tell him no. There was I, no no editor was involved at any time in this process. I, I boy, can guarantee and it, you. And it looks terrible in color. One of the re, the re, the reason I've never read it is because I picked it up so many times when I was getting back into comics as an adult and would just open it up and go, no, I can't deal with this art. And I'd no. put it back down. I Not to discourage anyone from suggesting things to us. We really love that. Please and do. Yeah. yeah no, it was, it's, it's so fun to hear that. Um, but yeah, I'm glad you gave it a shot and uh, and it made the list. I've got... Uh, what was actually supposed to be Dark Knight 3, which is Holy Terror. I've definitely mentioned on the podcast a couple Wait, of times. Wait, whoa, 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 whoa. Was that meant to be Dark Knight 3? So the story I think that I've heard, I don't, I, I can't like cite it. It's been so many years. Was that after 9-11, Frank pitched this to DC as a Batman book, as another Dark Knight book where Batman was going to go around and fight uh, terrorism. Okay. Um, and DC said, no. <laughs> <laughs> this is after Dark Knight Strikes again, too, right? Yes. So it's, and and it's like, they're like, this is tasteless and, yeah. you know, uh, Islamophobic and, you know, jingoist and xenophobic and whatever you want to call it. It's an awful book. Mm -hmm. um, so he so the story went that he rewrote it as Holy Terror, not rewrote it, but redrew it, I guess. So it is okay. it is like Dark Knight Returns in that it is all Frank Miller's art, all his writing. Um and it's just awful. It's all those things, you know, it's racist and sexist and jingoist. And it's like, just don't even bother. It's, it's hot garbage. Can I real quick, going back to dark Knight three, because he did not draw that, Correct. Um, which is clear, but he did write it and he had, he had cohorts help him. Do, I mean, it's still terrible. Do you think, do you think there's a place for Frank Miller in the modern comics conversation? Uh, that's anymore? great. Oh boy, man. <laughs> now we break out of our, quick, quick 10 minute hit on this. Um, no, I, but we have to, we have to, we have to address this. this I, that's, I mean, that's a good question. I, the problem, I, I don't know too much because, um, cause it's been years since I've read this, but I think around, around the Holy Terror time, he, he, you know, he sort of became kind of poisonous in that way. I was actually surprised that they ever made DK three because mm -hmm. he, he just said a lot of terrible things and was just mm -hmm. like, as I understood it, like, just kind of like, you know, a ranting, raving old man. And it was like, ah, I just don't, what are you bringing to this? And I think DK three yeah. was, um, uh, you know, it was a reimagining of, of some stuff in DC, uh, with sort of children of the heroes and stuff like that that appear. But did we need that? Do we care? Yeah. Like, I don't, yeah. 
he wasn't deconstructing it anymore, you know? And that's what's so interesting about year one and Dark Knight Returns is that, you know, he took this legend of Batman and, and took it apart and, and made it new and like refreshed the character for us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. I just don't follow him closely enough, you know, to say he's out of ideas, but it's, it's always bad when you, you know, become sort of a polemicist for yeah. work and start yeah. writing like political screeds. Yeah. So yeah, let's talk about some other garbage. Um, <laughs> there's two things that I, I'll hit quickly because they were in our last episodes. Yep. Uh, as something called Canon God Exaxion, which we talked about in number 98. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, it's not a, a book that's even going to appear on your radar, but I, I thought we had an interesting discussion about, um, you know, manga as like, you know, um, it's, it's some of the the sexism and power dynamics, you know, that I read when that I understood as I was reading this, um, and and it made me sort of question some other uh, manga that I've read. So I think that's an interesting discussion. And then the next episode, number ninety nine, um, I had read Crisis on Infinite Earths, and we <laughs> talked a long time about that. Yeah, which I think I mean, and and in that episode, we touch on Dark Knight Returns and stuff, and we talk about how these things were happening almost simultaneously, like Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns and Crisis, um, you know, within a couple of years of each other. And Crisis mm-hmm. is just not well written. No, or and well then, drawn. It's yeah, just and then on top is... of that, it has all these other problems. And anyway, that's episode 99. A third book that we don't think is worth having on your shelf, but I'll be interested to revisit it if they ever make volume two of this. I think they we, did, actually. I think they did. You're talking about oh, Wonder Woman right. yeah. Earth One, which was Grant Morrison. And I apologize. I forget the artist. I know. He's he's, he's wonderful. But here's the deal. This was a book Grant Morrison had been talking about for a long time. So it finally came out and I was eager to read it. Yeah, I'm a huge Grant Morrison fan. It is it is god awful. Like it's it's pretty to look at, but it is one of the few books I have ever bought and promptly uh, sold again. Like I think a week later, I was like, get this shit off my shelf. This is just it is awful. It is it treats Wonder Woman. I mean, for for all the goodwill that the movie does and in, in, in crafting this this sort of innocent, strong, powerful, like just like completely earnest character, Wonder Woman Earth One just does not do that. It yeah. is it is cliche in the worst way possible. And just it, if you love Wonder Woman, stay away, stay yeah. far, far away. I and and this is one of the few books where we both read it, and yeah. um, I, I read it as well. I would not go as far as you saying it's god awful um, in the writing. The art, first of all, we t- we both totally agree on this. The art is gorgeous. It's wonderful. Like this is, yeah, and, this, and that's one of the things that is such a uh, like a bait and switch to you and me. It's like we we looked at, <laughs> yeah. like a lot of times you'll have a great story and the art doesn't keep up. This is yeah. like the art is amazing. My beef with the thing is like nothing happens. No, it's not super at all. boring. Um, but I will say, and I think we mentioned this in our Wonder Woman episode. Um, and I, I haven't read them, but I hear that the rebirth, uh, uh, volumes, oh my gosh, the writer just disappeared from my head, but those wonder womans I hear are like just amazing. Oh, uh, and, that, and that, um, uh, yeah, that that writer has done a great job with her and, th- and that started sort of right after the earth one. So yeah, if you're interested, I, shout out to Yannick Paquette. He is the artist on oh, yeah. wonder woman earth one. And he's like, we said, he's, he's, that's the most frustrating part is that the art is so goddamn good. And the, the yeah. story and just the writing is so not, and it's just like, I, and I, you know, we'll get to more Grant Morrison titles as we go here, but this, this was just so disappointing considering how long he was working on it. Yeah. I, both creators. I mean, obviously we've raved about the art. We think highly of Grant Morrison. This just wasn't 
our cup of tea at all. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. let's forget the bad stuff. That's yeah, all we're going to touch on with not worth having on your shelf. We just wanted to include it in like a, I don't know, a sense of fairness or something. Yeah. But let's talk about the good stuff. All the good stuff. The rest of this episode is going to be nothing but good stuff. So, so strap in. If you are wanting to refill your pull list or you've got some empty space on your shelf or you just want to enter in 2019 just going, hey, tell me, give me some good stuff every time I go into the shop. What can I get? This is that list. And I, I should caution you, Try as we may, there is no way for us to put this in any order. It's going to kind of sound like a countdown, you know, like Casey Kasem countdown, but it's not. It's in no particular order. Um, these are just books that we have mostly talked about in past episodes, and we'll try to shout those out whenever possible. And then um, just say a little, you know, give a little bit uh, another nod to them, maybe a little bit extra context. And I will say both uh, this entire list, as well as the books we don't like, are going to appear on our Pinterest account. Uh, that is just Pinterest.com slash panelism just slash panelism and we'll have all the books we recommend there and we'll keep sharing them on instagram too if you are a instagram follower and we thank you for that so to start off this list this is this is all the stuff that we like i'm gonna i'm gonna give a a note uh to kingdom come which is one of those books i had not read sadly for the longest time this year i finally grabbed it busted it out episode 58 is that review and, you know, it's wonderful. It's, it is as much as Crisis on Infinite Earths is lauded as like this important book and just, just fails to live up to that. Kingdom Come is the opposite. You know, you always hear about Kingdom Come. Um, everybody talks about what a great seminal work it is by Mark Wade and Alex Ross. And it is. It's wonderful. The story is wonderful. The art is absolutely breathtaking. You know, it's that classic, really stylized, almost like Art Deco kind of art. Um, that you see usually on covers, but never as like a full book. I highly recommend you get it. And if you can get it as a hardcover, do that too. Uh, you will you will not be sorry. Yeah. Um, I, I, Alex Ross, that art is unbelievable. And it's like iconic. Totally. So, yeah. yeah. And you see it pop up and a lot, like he'll do a cover or two and you'll be like, oh, is this another Kingdom Come book? And it's just, it's just a variant, sadly. Yeah. You know, no, I think posted what, uh, what you posted on our Instagram account last week from crisis was the Alex Ross variant cover yeah. that I, I, that I sent you on purpose for that. Reason. Yeah. And it makes you, it, it, it totally makes crisis seem like it's so much better than it is. Yeah. yeah. You're like, wait, <laughs> what's, Oh, okay. But kingdom come is absolutely everything you hoped it would be in more. So go and grab that one. That's a huge one. Like that should be on your radar. I got one that's probably not on your radar, which is uh, an image comics title called rocket girl. I actually, there are only two volumes of this, and I remember teasing you when um, the second volume came out uh, by saying this has a Hodor moment to beat Hodor. That's right. Um, because it involves time travel. It is about a, a teenage cop, because that's what they have in the future, who goes back in time to the 80s to solve the problem that is going to affect, you know, her generation. Mm -hmm. um, so it's got all these eighties references, got all this sci-fi. She super goes back and kills Donald Trump. That's what it is. Right. <laughs> right. I, <laughs> that is, that is not what it is. Uh, oh, I, um, uh, but uh, <laughs> totally derailed. You're just saying eighties and problems, uh, and, 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 and we, we had no idea. No one even knew, you know, three years ago that that was going to be. A that's true. Yeah, that's true. Um, but it is. Uh, I discussed both volumes because I was so excited about it. Uh, number forty-six, episode number forty-six uh, is volume one, and episode number sixty-three is where I I tease you with that. Uh, you know, that, that um, Hodor moment kind of yeah. thing. But I, I definitely think it's worth having. And it's two volumes, so you can easily read the whole thing. And it's going to be like a great weekend read. Or if you're 
able to stretch it out longer than that, you'll really like it. I will say, and I'm curious to hear your thoughts too. Um, as we have gone, there are several books that you have reviewed that I had never touched that I have since picked up in Rocket Girl Volume 1 is one of them. Oh, awesome. Um, I just have not had a chance to get to the second volume yet. So, um, yeah, I, I completely agree. It's, it, is, it is quirky and fun and very unique. I mean, it's, you can only, I mean, it's got the time travel motifs and, and tropes, but it works wonderfully um, and just continues that tradition of image really just, just crushing it on, on unique indie creative titles. Yeah, hit me with another one. Well, it, another image title is Postal. And now this one, oh my God, episode 53, I talk about Postal in a big bad way. I'll, all I'll say is this. If you ever wanted the best comic series or graphic novel that has not that could that could make the best possible TV show that hasn't yet been turned into a TV show, here it is. Postal Ooh. is basically like a storyboard for the best goddamn uh, thing you've ever seen. If you like True Detective, if you like um, you know uh, even Breaking Bad, yeah, there's a lot of sort of you know of that uh, working through this too. You'll love Postal. It's about a little town in uh, in Wyoming called uh, Eden, Wyoming, and it's where all the criminals go and it's off the map. Nobody knows it's there. And if you're a criminal and you can find your way there, you basically have a home and the whole series, which is now since concluded is about what happens in this town, the woman who runs it and the main character, her son, who is the mailman, hence the name postal. He has um, Asperger's. So he's kind of got a, a bit of, um, of a sort of a Sherlock Holmes quality to him. He's able to solve crimes and put, put puzzles together very quickly. So just wonderful, wonderful title again, by image and, I mean, start with volume, start with volume one, issue one, and you will not stop. <laughs> um, yeah, I got one that is, uh, I, I felt a little weird including this because um, I'm kind of conflicted after the Canon God Exaxion episode. But I, I said the original Ghost in the Shell is worth checking out. Mm -hmm. um, it is by, it's on Dark Horse. Uh, I, I'm assuming it's early 90s, uh, possibly late 80s. Um, and it was it was also iconic, I think, in, um, you know, in in the manga world, especially what came over to the States, um, you know, at least when I was was younger and reading comics, it was like this was one of the big ones, you know, sort of like Akira was the the anime to get into. This was the, the book to get into. And um, I talked about that along with the movie in episode number 39. So I don't know that you'll get a whole lot of review of the, the manga. Um, and a lot of, you know, I, I admit a lot of the manga is kind of nonsense. Um, it, it's just, you know, it's this weird uh, techno future sort of thing. Um, so it might not be everybody's cup of tea. It's not a, a, a classic like Kingdom Come that should absolutely live on your shelf. Uh, but I think that the addition that Dark Horse does that's like, as I recall, partly color and partly black and white, but maybe it's all color and it's just got, you know, it just looks really nice. And uh, yeah, I, I put it in here. <laughs> cool. Um, I'm going to pick up next with a book called Pyongyang, which you have probably seen in the indie section uh, or the, the book section, whenever you walk into your comic shop, it is by now, correct me. Is it Guy or guy? I, I think it's Guy. Guy Delis. Uh, and I think it's Guy Delisle, but I, I'm not really Delisle. sure. It's a, uh, I'm going on what um, what we were, we were told. Yeah. Okay. So Guy Delisle or Guy Delisle. It's, it looks like it's spelled Guy Delisle, but Guy Delisle. And it's a wonderful little um, – it's just a wonderful little book uh, drawn in quarterly, classic drawn in quarterly title. You know, it's it's um, sort of semi – it is very autobiographical. It's about his trip to Pyongyang. He's, do, he's doing some uh, animation work 
with one of their studios. And it's just sort of a, a black and white, wonderful little vignette of his day-to-day -day life there. And he, you know, you see, you know, how human some of the people are and how sort of, you know, robotic they are. And you just get a really good glimpse of uh, what it's like to live in North Korea for three months. And I, as I'm flipping through it now, I almost want to reread it right now. It's actually just, I forgot how charming it is. And, you know, it's, it's got a sort of a melancholy quality to it too. But if you like, if you love world travel, if you like, um, you know, just if you're fascinated by North Korea in any way, shape or form, definitely pick this up. Yeah. And uh, you and I were, were collectively recommended all of Guy's titles. Yeah. Um, and I have picked up uh, Jerusalem since. And, you know, just shout out to Drawn and Quarterly, like join their um, mailing list because at the, they always have a Black Friday sale where you get such awesome deals on this stuff. Oh, and these heavens. Great hardcover editions. You and I have bought a ton of them. Um, yeah. And my version of uh, my edition of Jerusalem came from that last year. I still haven't you know, read it, but, um, it looks great sitting on my shelf and I will absolutely read it and talk about it later. Um, I, uh, real quick, as you were yeah. saying that I sadly was not subscribed to their mailing list and I am, as we speak, fixing oh, that really? mistake. No, oh, I you were just relying on the annual text from me. Like, holy shit. Yes. <laughs> yes. I, I, I honestly was, I was like, Oh, Todd oh, will tell funny. me when there's something to, to, to see there, but no, <laughs> I didn't even think about the fact that they had, a killer little mailing list. It is, you know, real quick, Drawn and Quarterly is that killer, you know, like in the music scene in the 90s, you know, like there were those killer indie labels that just did everything right and had a really specific point of view. Drawn and Quarterly is that. You know, as oh, much yeah. as we love and loud Image, um, you know, Image is creator-owned, and so you get a huge diverse swath of stuff. But Drawn and Quarterly, there's a certain aesthetic that you can always hope to find there. And it's always just, it's, it is comic books for the coffee shop intellectual, you know, at yeah. the end of the, in my mind, like it's, it's just, it's just wonderful. So definitely keep, if you're not a drawn and quarterly fan or aficionado uh, in 2019, I, I challenge you to fix that. Yeah. And I got another pick uh, coming up a little bit later that I'll, I'll mention, but right now uh, I'll, I'll talk about um, another book that kind of blew up and it, it just didn't, it wasn't really in comic shops. I don't think it was distributed through that, that main distributor that they use, but um, you can find it in any bookstore. It is called, uh, and the mispronunciation is on purpose. It is called everyone's a Aliban when you're a Aliban too. Mm -hmm. And it, uh, I talked about it in depth in episode number 52 and it's just such a, wonderful good feeling like meditation on the human condition in this very playful childish style or child friendly style and it's a, uh, a it's hard to say it's about because it is about the human condition mm -hmm. but the uh, story for that is that an alien comes to earth only interacts with plants and animals and sort of learns about the human experience through that about about you know feeling sad and feeling happy and feeling anxious and um, you know, needing space, but also feeling alone. And it's just really beautiful. Um, yeah, that's all I'll say about it. <laughs> well, I'll jump to a title that is uh, currently our most popular post on Instagram. Um, over a thousand likes. I, I threw up a picture or, or actually two pictures from it. It is the image title, A Land Called Tarot by Gail Bertrand. And 
it was, let's see, episode 61. I talk about it in full. Um, quick, quick little summary. It is, um, if you were ever a fan of the Island magazine that Image did there for a couple years, this is one of the uh, stories that appeared in Island. They later recollected it as a hardcover trade paperback, which I highly recommend you get it in. It is a totally silent, meaning no speech bubbles whatsoever, totally silent um, uh, story. There's a series of vignettes. I don't even want to begin to describe it. It is just, it is surrealist fantasy art at the highest level. Um, every single panel could be, you know, something you hang on your wall or could be something, you know, uh, just a, a picture you stare at for hours on end. Um, it's just absolutely wonderful and fantastic. If you want to get a glimpse of it, go to our Instagram feed about halfway down. You're going to see a picture that just looks crazy. It's this old man <laughs> sort of sitting on an ocean. That is just one example of many things you're going to find here. You can read it backwards to forwards, forwards to backwards. It doesn't really matter. It looks like something that you may have dreamed last night. Um, but absolutely, if you are, if, if you are, if you appreciate art and a fantasy art and just really, you know, want to see a graphic novel, uh, you know, operate in this format, like this is, this is absolutely a pick for your shelf. Definitely. You may not have noticed, but I threw another title in there for you to discuss no. right after this. <laughs> That's right. Well, you, you did, you put in infidel, which we discussed very recently on episode 91, Infidel, oh my God, it, we talked about it over Halloween because it's basically a ghost story. Um, you know, a woman lives in an apartment building that is more or less, well, sorry, a Muslim woman lives in an apartment building that's basically haunted by the ghost, sort of the demon ghost of, uh, of, of racists and, and, and um, uh, just racists and bigots. Uh, what's, what's the other, what it, terrible people, yeah. terrible, awful, like kind of the worst of humanity haunts this apartment. And you get to see sort of, I mean, it's just, it, it's this fascinating, horrific look at it, at, at xenophobia. That's the word I was looking for. Xenophobia, oh, yeah. racism, um, you know, all of that. They're actually going to make a movie out of this thing, which oh yeah, that's right. I, good Lord, the book was, you know, the book is not meant for young kids. It is, it has yeah. a disturbing quality to it, um, you know, on the level of the ring or something like that, where you're just like, it's sort of, it sits with you for a while. And the subject matter is, is very timely and uh but just very well done i mean it's it's a, as a as a ghost story as a horror story it, it works really really well it's got a timeless quality to it but it's definitely you know meant for a 2018 2019 audience so infidel uh, again go back to episode 91 to hear us review that yeah and as i recall it, it we, we discovered it was on some crazy like npr's list of greatest horror yeah like, it wasn't even like a comic specific list and we went holy shit like that's that's how scary it is, is that it's like in the, you know, in the literature list. Oh, when I, any, I get, I get, I get really excited anytime I see any of the books I love appear on those, like, you know, hundred greatest books, regardless right. of medium, you know, like I, I hate to use this old, you know, to, to dust off this old canard, but Watchmen, you know, like one of those books, Dark Knight Returns. Some of those books are really like these classic graphic novels are considered literature at this point as oh, they yeah. should be. Absolutely. So it's always exciting to see new things added to that list. Uh, well, speaking of literature, um, I think Bitch Planet is worth <laughs> catching up on. Um, it is a, uh, a, another disturbing, especially in our uh, current political climate, um, uh, feminist take, you know, sci-fi take on it's sort of a, a handmaid's tale in space, if that doesn't sound too uh, cheap, if that doesn't cheapen it too much or something. Um, but it is uh, just a great sci-fi take on 
uh, you know, a, a country that has like a religious fervor that is dictating how um, women can or cannot be agents of their own bodies. Um, and then they are sent off to this prison planet, you know, if they if they violate the rules. Um, Kelly Sue DeConnick is the writer. It lasted two volumes. And then I think um, said political system kind of uh, weakened their resolve to keep going on it. Um, but they also put out a third volume that's not, I think it's canon, but it's not sequential. So it's like sort of side stories and stuff. So hang uh, tight, hang tight. They stopped doing it because of the current environment. I don't know that they stopped because of that. I just think that it was like they, you know, plus they had other, uh, other big projects coming up and Kelly Sue I think, has been pretty intimate with the Captain Marvel movie because she wrote that for a number of years. Um, I hope I'm right about that. Uh, but I, you know, it did, it was, it, we've talked about a couple other titles like that. Citizen Jack, I think is the one that you've mentioned. Several yeah. times where it's like, <laughs> yes. All yes. of a sudden it got too real and it was like, Oh boy. Um, yeah. But yeah, bitch planet. I talked in depth episode number 53. What you got for us? Well, let's see here. I could talk about, uh, yeah, I think I will. Multiversity. Now earlier I mentioned Grant Morrison utterly failing on wonder woman, earth one. Multiversity is a tour de force. Um, it's like all the great Grant Morrison stuff in one book. And this, I'm talking specifically about the hardcover trade paper. It's not even trade paperback. The hardcover graphic novel that collects the entire multiversity run. Um, and there's a lot of stuff. It's, I don't even know if I can even talk about it at any length. Go listen to episode 57 to hear me. It's convoluted um, for sure. It is convoluted for sure. I mean, just a couple highlights. He has an entire chapter slash issue, which is um, uh, his take on the, um, uh, oh shoot, I was going to say Harlequin. That's not right. What's the original? Um, the original uh, heroes that the Watchmen are based on. Um, oh my God. Anyway, you know, so like the original. If said it, I would have known, but go ahead. The original characters that the Watchmen are based on, he does a take, almost like when the Beatles met the Ruddles kind of a thing where it's it's what would the, um, what would those original heroes have been? Because they were the Watchmen were meant to be that original group of characters, like the Question and um, the Ad, uh, not the Adam, but um, uh, 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 Blue Beetle. Uh, Blue Beetle is that right? I'm I shouldn't even review this book right now. And Charlton Comics is what you're thinking. Of. Charlton, thank you, Christ in heaven. So yeah, the Charlton Comics characters were originally what the Watchmen were supposed to be. They couldn't get the rights, or either or that, or Alan Moore was just not interested. So Alan Moore created his kind of. Uh, variations on each of those characters. So Grant Morrison took them and re reworked them, you know, as they would be if, if they were the Watchmen, essentially that's one chapter. There's another chapter. If, uh, if uh, Superman was uh, a Nazi, you know, if he had landed in Nazi Germany instead, basically it's, it's a bunch of Elseworlds titles that are all interconnected in a really cool way. It all comes together in the end. And um, he does a, he's got a really great, really fun sort of map of the multiverse the DC multiverse and a bunch of different, like a guidebook of all the different earths. So if you're really curious, like, you know, what is earth 18 about? What is earth 23 about? There's there a black Superman in earth 23. What's that about? <laughs> um, go grab that. But it's just like as, as a, as a purely creative effort, it's just, it's fantastic. I, um, I whip it out once a year at least. And um, again, the hardcover, if you, if you get it, um, you know, grab it on Comixology to try it out. But if you're going to get it, get the hardcover version. It's it is a collector's item for sure. Yeah, and you'll hear us in that episode where I tried reading some of the single issues, and it definitely got lost. So I, I think collected edition is the way to go with that. Absolutely, hundred uh, percent. I stacked you up again here because you had so many more picks in this section. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Death Note. That is me. Yeah. So, yeah. um, 
back on episode 49, uh, I reviewed my first manga, uh, Death Note, which at the time had just come out as the as a Netflix movie. Um, and so I, you know, that's where I kind of learned about it. And then I saw uh, the entire series in a really cool, kind of one of those like funky coffee shop, comic book, bookstore bars, you know, that appears in some cities. Denver's got one. And so I, I grabbed uh, book one, uh, the black edition, which all the pages are black. So it just looks really cool. It looks <laughs> like the death note in the book, but um, the book is wonderful. The movie on Netflix was not, it, it left me really wanting more. And so I grabbed the book thinking, well, maybe the source material is better. Oh my God, it totally is. It's, it's just a fantastic book about a young boy who finds this diary or this journal left behind by this demon. And you write somebody's name in that journal and that person dies uh, the journal's called the Death Note, hence the name. And then that demon ends up sort of befriending this boy and kind of following him around, and only the boy can see him. And so it's all about this. It's kind of it's kind of Breaking Bad, about uh, very similar to Breaking Bad. It's this, it's this young boy who just kind of falls down this rabbit hole of continuously making terrible decisions. And you literally have the devil on his shoulder sitting there the entire time, either egging him on or you know, challenging him or telling him no, which makes him do the thing that he wants to do. It's just wonderful. If, if you are a light anime fan, this is definitely for you. I'm certainly a light anime fan. If you're a heavy anime fan, this is for you. Um, yeah, just, or sorry, not anime, manga. Um, if you're a big anime too, but if you're a manga fan or you want to get into manga, definitely recommend this. I think there's seven or eight books in the series, which is quite a bit. Uh, I've only done book one, but I, I'm sure the rest of them I'll get to at some point and they'll be wonderful. So Death Note, again, episode 49, I talk about that. Yeah, and then uh, I feel like we've uh, we've wandered through the indie comics uh, and small press stuff. I'm going to bring us right back to the big two. Yeah. Um, Supergirl being super, which I talked about in episode number 49. I completely um, forgot about this book. It is just such a great, I, I did too, until I did that thing where I scrolled through all of our episodes to kind of remind myself of what we might want to include in a number 100 episode. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it to me is like, it, it takes place when, you know, Car is already on earth. It's not retelling the origin of Supergirl, but it has that feel of a year one book of like mm. the, the character growth that happens behind the hero that sort of shapes them into the hero that they become. Mm-hmm. Um, it is written by uh, Mariko Tamaki um, and illustrated by one of my favorite artists, Joel Jones. Uh, Joel is currently writing and illustrating Catwoman. Um, and she illustrated a lot of the Tom King run of Batman up to the wedding. I, she may s- still be, or I don't know how much of that she did, but um, when the cat new Catwoman series spun off, she went with that. And I just love, I've loved her art for years and I'll mention indie titles she's done in future episodes for sure. But Supergirl being super great take on the character number 49. Now, do you want to talk about the next one on the list? Because this was, uh, I'll just say what it is. It's vision. Yeah. Um, and I apologize. I don't have the, the author artist handy. Oh, it's Tom King. Because Tom King, it is, of course. Because, uh, so this came from our friend Drew. And in fact, we invited Drew on episode number 67 to talk about uh, Vision. Um, I can't mm-hmm. remember if it had, is it did it have a subtitle or something? I don't uh, think it did. Yeah. So it was just this kind of novel, as far as I understood, not kind of, totally novel take on Vision, the character. Um, our friend Drew is a big fan of Tom King's writing. Um, and had really, you know, recommended all those Batman books to me. Um, so we all, like, we all read Vision and talked about it together as a group. Um, and it's just, it is such a novel take. I mean, it's a good one to, for for you and and me. Uh, 
where it's it is like the image comics take on a marvel superhero you know it's dark yeah, and yeah. it's like it's like the nightmare of science fiction that vision really is yeah. rather than this kind of glossed over uh hero you know i mean he <laughs> ultron made him <laughs> right like it's not mm-hmm. a happy story um inherently and it's it's kind of twisted what did you think about the art? You know, I, I mean, I recall it, but, um, I, the art was, um, you know, I, I liked the covers and the variants better than the main mm. panel art, but the story was so good. I kind of settled into the main panel art pretty quick, um, yeah. quicker than I thought I would, because it has sort of a, I mean, all of it, even the covers have a sort of Norman Rockwell kind of vibe to it, totally. you know, which yeah. is trying it, it, it's, and once you read the book and you kind of ingest it that way and you understand what they're trying to do tonally, the, the, the more innocent kind of art does work really, really well. Um, yeah. You know, it's a pretty lengthy book, so they're not going to, you know, not every single panel is going to be as stylized as Kingdom Come um, would be. But it's, you know, you you get a lot of sense of that in the covers and the variants, and the art itself is is completely fine. Um, yeah. The story, it's 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 definitely one of those. I think we talk about it on the episode. It's one of those books where the story and the intent um, is so strong that the art could have just been, you know, as, as shitty as Frank Miller drew Dark Knight Two. <laughs> And we probably wouldn't have cared as much because the story is so good. It's much uh, better than that. I don't want to give know. any indication that this art is as is as poor as that. It's not. It's wonderful. But um, you know, if you if you flip through it and you're like, well, this this looks a little plain and boring. Believe me, there are twists and turns and some really good meaty. Um, you know, it's the movie. It reminds me a lot of sort of what they did with Ex Machina, which is. This, you know, in your own words, this kind of quiet, very intimate story about how technology can go wrong. And it just, it has a lot of that feel to it. Yeah. It's, I wouldn't, you know, um, I, I maybe, maybe I would say you're being a little harsh on the art, but it's definitely more big two-ish art. Yes. I would, there we go. There we go. I, I would okay. say it, um, it, it's, you know, it disarms you because the art, looks a little bit more conventional and the story is so unconventional. That's but, what it is. Yep. But I do yep. imagine that that was part of the discussion about it. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's like the story is so good. Um, I, I mean, yeah, it's maybe not our favorite art, but uh, but yeah, really, really crazy story about vision. Um, really good. Yeah. <laughs> Hit me That's, with you know, when, we're, when we talk about the, the graphic novels worth having on your shelf, like, oh my God, that is, that's like a poster boy for, for that sentence. Um, you know, just absolutely go buy that thing. I have yeah. it digitally. I still haven't bought it physically, but it is happening physically. And, and especially those like those standouts from Marvel or DC where, where you can go like, you know, even if you're not into the superhero comics, you can put the, you can read this and have it on your shelf and go, wow, that was really like, what a good take on that. You know? Yeah. Yeah. What a great take. Um, another book kind of dipping back into the indie vibe again is a book called Local, which I see here, I talked about in episode 89. I feel like it was a lot longer ago <laughs> than that. Um, it is it is by the good folks at Oni Press, which you know I don't talk about enough. I think I read a lot of Oni stuff, and then I don't talk about it on the show. So I want to give them a big shout out. They're a great little publisher out of Portland, as most of the good publishers are these days. <laughs> um, but Local is this wonderfully, beautifully drawn graphic novel. Um, it, it may have come out as single issues, I think, at one point, but it's meant to be a graphic novel. Absolutely. And it's about this young girl's life and how she goes from town to town, from situation to situation. Every chapter is sort of a different city that she's found herself in with different relationships, different um, struggles. 
And it's a huge, wonderfully, beautifully told coming of age tale. And it has a really satisfying um, sort of, uh, of ending that ties it all together. The graphic novel, I'm, I'm, I'm flipping through the hardcover version, has a lot of what I call DVD extras. So a lot of insight into the making of the story, the writing of it, the drawing of it. Which, by the way, quick shout out, the, um, the deluxe version of Vision also has a lot of DVD extras. Oh, so yeah, if yeah. If you're into the making of the book and the, 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 artist, you know, the artistry behind it, um, what goes into that, like this, by all means, get the books that have a juicy um, you know, uh, extra section. But yeah, this uh, local, uh, quick shout out, uh, by Brian Wood and Ryan Kelly um, are the creators behind it. And it's just, it, it's some of the best line drawing, pencil drawing I've ever seen. It's, it's almost exclusively in black and white. And, and I, it would almost be too intense if they tried to color this. The panels are just so beautiful as they are in black and white. It, and it actually totally works for the story too. You get, you know, it's, her life is sort of, you know, very dreary from time to time. And, and a lot of her situations are very black and white, um, you know, situations. You kind of look to find the, the shades of gray in between everything. So just a great, great book. Um, definitely uh, worth having. Uh, so many of the themes you touched on in that have to do with my next pick which is uh, from Drawn and Quarterly, um, Portland publisher. <laughs> it is in black and white. Um, it is called Mary Wept Over the Feet of Jesus. And I talked about it in episode number 66, and I could probably talk about it in a weekly episode. It is such an interesting book in the way it's put together and the DVD extras in it, which aren't really even extras. They're integral to the book, which are like footnotes and explanations Um from the writer, uh, I think Chester Brown. I'm sorry that I did not write it down here, but I believe that's the writer. Um, and it is uh, this book is it is deceptively simple in its illustration because its theme is very heavy. Uh, the theme and the argument of the author is that Jesus's mother was a prostitute, mm-hmm. and he is coming at this from such a scholarly take on it that it is just like mind blowing. Like he's citing all this history and this examination of the gospels. Now I will note uh, that uh, Brown himself, he considers himself a, a Christian. This is not an anti-Christian like diatribe or something. Um, he is also a John, like he is a, a you know, a public um, customer of prostitutes. Uh, so, you know, just a little asterisk there. It's always interesting how, you know, people's religions end up justifying the thing that they do in their personal life. Um, mm-hmm. But anyway, <laughs> but it's just a fascinating book and I, I can't, uh, you know, uh, rate it high enough. Um, this brings me to probably one of my favorite books of all time. You know, we're talking about our favorite books, period. But, you know, of, of the favorites, there are a couple that, that definitely rise to the very top. And this is, of course, the absolute creative debut tour de force of Jonathan Hickman titled The Nightly News, um, published by Image. And I'm going to specifically shout out the 10th anniversary hardcover edition, which is what I own, and was the book that I, when I went into um, Bridge City Comics in, in Portland, shout out to those guys, one of the best comic shops you'll ever find. Bridge City Comics in Portland. I walked in and they had a whole Jonathan Hickman section of their wall and this was prominently featured. I think it had just come out because it was 2015. So it was the te- I think it was the 10th anniversary at that point. Um, and they're like, oh, if you, and I kind of gave them my, what I was into at the time. And they're like, you, you want to take this home. 
I'm so glad I did. It's Jonathan Hickman's very first thing he ever did. And he wrote it, he illustrated it. Um, and his illustrations are very much, you know, he takes pictures of real life people and situations and then kind of animates over those and then uh, stylizes them and does kind of these really cool infographic-y kind of treatments. Um, so visually, it's really unique and stunning. And if there's ever a book more suited to 2018, 2019, oh my God, this is about <laughs> literally about uh, attacking the the news, the, the news anchors, journalists. It's about it's an assault on journalism, and um, and the way he frames it at the time, he's got this group of vigilantes who are sniping out journalists because the way they view them is is negative, not in a sort of Trumpian way, but in, in a much kind of broader societal sort of way. But you you can reading it now is almost scarier because you can infer a lot of current you know topics and and sort of current sentiment in the culture. Um, into this book, but he breaks up the pages with different little infographics, talking about new media, talking about education, drug use, all of this wonderful, wonderful context. Um, he does that beautiful thing where some of the pages are just conversations without, um, they're just the script of the conversations and not necessarily, you don't see drawings, but I cannot say enough about this book. I don't want to spoil any of it. Uh, if you go back to episode number 72, which again, doesn't seem like that long ago. I, I thought this is <laughs> no, a lot a lot longer ago. Um, episode 72, I, I, I go into full detail, but oh my God, this is the, uh, the 10, uh, 10 year anniversary also has, um, in its DVD extras, lots of concept drawings, lots of, um, notes about his, uh, his color use. He's got all his, like his Pantone colors mm. listed. He's got all his variant covers. He's got the entire first script of issue one that he pitched, um, in there. Oh, so you cool. can read, literally read and yeah. see some of his concept drawings. Like this is, if you love a creator as much as I love Jonathan Hickman, this is, this is a must, must have. It is, you can read it every year and see something completely new and fresh in it. It holds up just as well, if not better than it did when it first came out. So yeah, this is, I mean, top of my list, definitely one of my top three all-time favorites um, for sure. And, and we, we say, you know, you talked about that specifically in episode number 72, but I feel like there was probably a good six months of our podcast that was just the Jonathan Hickman podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So speaking of that, what's another title that he's written? Well, you know, I love me some Hickman and there's another image title. He, the dude's working on 27 consecutive titles at any given time. So <laughs> I don't know how the hell he's pulling this off, but he's got another one called The Black Monday Murders, which... Um, I talk about in episode 64. I'm surprised I talked about this before I talked about nightly news on an episode, to be honest. Like that's, well, I know you'd mentioned nightly news many times. Oh, I know. You maybe it was, maybe on it was one of those yeah. things where I was like, and finally I'm talking about, no, but I talk about the black Monday murders, which is an ongoing series. Um, nightly news has, has, was more of like a, a, a mini series. It has ended. Um, black Monday murders is ongoing and it is holy crap. If you liked the nightly news and you like Jonathan Hickman's indie style, now, Hickman's written a lot of stuff for Marvel, a lot of Avenger titles and things like that. But his indie stuff, his creator-owned stuff is always the best because he can just go hog wild. And in the Black Monday murders, he talk, he basically takes the conspiracy of the Rothschilds and the sort of the big banking families, and he makes it real. And he makes it real in the fact that they do the secret deal with the devil and they control the world economies. And it's kind of this sort of mafia family versus mafia family kind of movie but there's this detective who's trying to figure it all out in the meantime. 
um, wonderfully drawn and illustrated. And I, I so I'm, I hate that I don't remember who the illustrator is. Um, <laughs> hang on just a second while I look that up. Uh, Tom Cocker or Coker, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, just that you look at the covers, and I mean the covers kind of say it all. And each individual issue is almost like a case file. So it's kind of fun. You know, I, you can get the trade paperbacks too, but I highly encourage you to get the individual issues because there's a collectability to them. You feel like you're collecting the Black Monday murder cases as they come out, you know, and you're, get to, you're following along in real time. Um, definitely not for uh, the younger reader. This is an adult, you know, this is a 21 and up or 18 and up title in my opinion. Um, but yeah, number six, uh, episode 64, I delve into that. And yeah, the Black Monday murders. Go for, if you see it, pick it up. On the other end of the spectrum, <laughs> I'll call out Lumberjanes, which I think <laughs> is just a fantastic book. It's maybe not quite all ages, but absolutely. Um, and it's also not um, specific for girls, for sure. Like I, I enjoyed the crap out of it, and and will continue to. Um, and I think young boys should should read it as well. But it is uh, it is like a, a about sort of a Girl Scout troop called the Lumberjanes, um, and magical and wild things happen to them while in this very realistic setting of like having to deal with with real life problems and and discuss real life issues. Um, so it's definitely like you know probably like ten years old might be too young, but like twelve and up I think is mm-hmm. good. You know it's mm-hmm. um. And it's very Pacific Northwest feeling, you know, they're, they're out in the woods um, and it is uh, uh, it's not just the landscape, but a lot of the issues they deal with are very progressive and um, but it is just super fun and super enjoyable. And I love the fantastic element in it. And I love the way it's drawn in such a way that's not, you know, it's not a superhero comic book yet all, but it's also it's also just so accessible without being cartoonish. Um, it, you know, it never devolves into, into, uh, like patronizing, um, young readers. And I, I think that's such a, a, such a rare thing to find. Uh, it has a lot of creators on it, but I think Noel Stevenson has been, um, uh, uh like a, the through line of it, if not just the sole creator, but, um, also I've, I jumped in right in the middle, which I think is a perfectly acceptable thing to do because they've organized it. Like each volume feels very complete there were themes from volume five that made me want to pick up volume six and mm-hmm. continue to read but i did i have not yet gone back and read like one two three four or you know or seven eight nine or wherever they are now but it is just awesome um yeah at lumberjanes uh episode number 80 was when i talked about that can i say real quick um as i've been sort of jumping ahead just to make sure i have <laughs> the info on, on upcoming books i'm going to talk about i'm on the drawn and quarterly website uh, one of the most infuriating things about it is it's not clear at all how you buy books from them. Like there's a title they're talking about right now called the uh, snooty bookshop that I'm like, Ooh, I kind of want that. And in the article about the snooty bookshop, there's no buy now button. It's just like in bookstores now. It's like, but yeah. I want to buy it from you right now. And and if you go search it, it's not available. That's oh, it's so frustrating. You're on a quarterly. You need to fix your website. Yeah, um, that that is um uh uh it's is it is it uh Grant Snyder that did that or is it Tom Gold? It is Tom Gold. Good job. Um and he wrote uh, a Moon Cop which we talked about in episode I'm trying to get there. That's Moon Cop's guy. That's the creator. Wow. Yeah. Um yeah, uh the Snooty Bookshop. 
Oh man, interesting. Can't even find it. Well, while you Very look for that, I'm going to talk about another drawn in quarterly. Book. Number fifty-five. I talked oh, about number fifty-five. Yeah, I love his art. I don't. I think you've. I think you have found a specific like uh, a title on drawn in quarterly that is not actually available online. Oh god, <laughs> because they talk- released it as like a. Uh, it was like a special edition thing. It's a series uh, of postcards that he illustrated. Oh, um, was, okay. I think it was done. Like I think it was commissioned for a certain bookseller or shop or something. And they, as his American distributor, are putting it out, but I don't know that it's. Yeah, I think you've. I think you've hit a quirk, but you're right. There are definitely a lot of quirks to the Drawn and Quarterly website. Like as wonderful weird. as they are as a publisher, like their website's a little lacking. But yeah. we'll talk about that another day. A Drawn and Quarterly title that is worth talking about is a book called Wilson by Daniel Close. Oh, yeah. And you may that may sound familiar to you. There was a movie starring Woody Harrelson that came out oh, a year or so ago, I think. Um, that's how I learned about it. You know, in the trailer for the Wilson movie, that's like based on the award-winning graphic novel or acclaimed graphic novel. So of course I had to go pick it up. Um, I am holding the hardcover version, which I, anytime you can get a hardcover version of something, go do it. And the thing about drawn and quarterly's titles is that often their hardcover versions are the same price um, as, the, as the regular ones. Or as Todd mentioned, if they have one of these amazing sales, these Black Friday sales or occasional sales, Grab their hardcover editions. They're they're beautiful. They're that you want to hold these things in in physical hardcover form. But anyway, Wilson's about this guy named Wilson, who's clearly on the spectrum somewhere, and it's kind of uh, a, a sort of a couple of vignettes of his life. Um, you know, he's going back to try to reunite with his ex-wife. He finds out he has a daughter with that woman along the way, and every page is a series of six panels that are drawn completely differently from the previous page. Um, some of the drawing styles recycle throughout the book, but every time you turn the page, Wilson is drawn completely differently. Sometimes he looks like, you know, Garfield might look. Sometimes he looks very stylized, very, you know, very detailed. Sometimes he looks just completely lo-fi or something like from Doonesbury or, you know, like there's just a, there's a plethora of styles that are just wonderful and kind of fun to watch. And each style doesn't necessarily complement or um, coincide with the content, but you can tell that each style really works. You know, it, it allows the jokes or the or the drama to play out very wonderfully. Um, so it's kind of like a giant collection. You can almost imagine that each of these pages came out in a newspaper over the course of you know 52 weeks or something. I don't think that's what it was. No. Um, but you get this you get the sense that, that could have been. Um, but it's just it's wonderful. It's it's again it's just a really great look at this guy's life. He's hilarious. He just doesn't care. He he'll sit in a cafe and just start chatting with somebody he doesn't know and, and annoying them and he won't seem to think or care that he's annoying them. Um, I will say that the book is a lot lighter in my mind than the movie was the movie got really Ooh. depressing. Um, and, it, and it was, the movie was great too, but it was just like the almost went a little too dark. The book kind of maintains the book is basically the movie, but it maintains a sort of lightness to it that I don't, I think the movie kind of didn't uh, figure out as, as quickly as it could. Um, but yeah, it's just, it's one of those titles that, you know, you're going to see it pop up as since the movie's out, you're going to see it pop up on Netflix or Amazon. And it's just fun to have the, have the book. If you like Garfield, if you like the far side cartoons or, you know, any of like I said, Doonesbury or any, any of those kinds of higher level, um, you know, uh, uh, newspaper comics, definitely pick up Wilson. 
I, you know, I'm, I'm going to uh, uh, call an audible here and, and throw a new, another pick that was also oh! a sports reference because you mentioned that you art style. Yeah. And and this book had just slipped my mind when we were putting this list together, but um, terms and conditions, which does not have a story, but the, the book is called terms and conditions. Um, and it, we talked about it in episode number 59. This is a book uh, that you gave to me. Um, it is literally the Apple app store terms and conditions or mm-hmm. iTunes terms and conditions. Those are just thrown into the, into like the, the speech and thought bubbles throughout this book. And every page is illustrated in a different famous comic book art style, mm-hmm. whether it's a take on, I think they're, they're literally like matching panel for panel and mm-hmm. where it's like Steve jobs, you know, in the fantastic four pose or whatever, but it is just as like a art an an artifact of great art like this is so worth having as a physical copy. Um, and I just thought I'd throw it in there because your, your Wilson review reminded me of it. Oh, I'm so glad you did. Thank you. Yeah. So, you know, that I would say those are the, those are the ones we wanted to hit a list of things that, that we talked about. They're dedicated. We dedicate episodes to them, but, um, you know, we may not have mentioned them before or since, but our last segment, which is this going to wrap us up, are the things we in a hundred episodes we have probably mentioned a hundred and twenty times? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because yeah. these are books that we just absolutely love and we keep talking about. And it's like when you're talking about what's not worth your having on your shelf, you know what you should check out and what's absolutely worth having on your shelf. These are these are about ten books that we you and I would say worth it. Like go go get this. So yeah. um, kick us off on that. What I reorganized this list a little bit while you were talking because I wanted us to skip back and forth. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but so I put you on the top, kick us off. Well, as we speak, I'm pulling off of my shelf right now, my copy of Superman American alien by Max Landis as the writer and a, just the greatest hits of artists. I'll read them off to you because they all deserve credit. Nick Dragata, Tommy Lee Edwards, Jolie Jones, um, Jai Lee, Jay Lee, sorry, Francis Man- Manipool, Manipool, and Jonathan Case Jock. Um, it is a collection of single issues in graphic novel form. I highly recommend you get the graphic novel. I highly recommend you get the hardcover. Uh, but it's it is a it is probably the best. It is definitely my favorite Superman story of all time because it shows Clark Kent's life growing up to become Superman. The whole thing ends just as he's putting on the suit, you know, and really embracing being Superman. So everything is leading up to that, but not in a lame Smallville way. This is him at different stages in his life, starting with him as a, you know, as like a little 10-year-old kid or 8-year-old kid. And each stage is drawn by different uh, artists. So the first chapter is Nick Dragata's art, which I love. Um, and it shows just Clark Kent in school kind of wrestling with, you know, these powers and being different. And there's this really tender scene with his mom that's really incredible. Then it shows him as a, as a little punk teenager, um, you know, drawn by somebody else. It shows him as a young man. And it, it really puts together who Clark Kent is, first and foremost. Like, who is the man Clark Kent? And how does he reconcile that with this other thing that he might be, which is Superman? He doesn't know you know, at least early on, he doesn't know that he's from Krypton. He doesn't even know any of this stuff. He doesn't know who his people are. So it's it's literally him as kind of this immigrant and a, a stranger in a strange land, trying to figure his life out. And it's just it is so wonderful. It's they literally, if they do this book as a movie, it is guaranteed to be the most popular Superman movie they'll ever have. <laughs> I just and a lot of people rag on it for some weird reason. I don't know why. Um, maybe just because it is it is more kind of a grounded look 
at at Clark Kent. Um, you know, maybe just with all the Superman throughout all of history, it's you know it's been done here and there. But I I love 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 this take, um, and uh, definitely I think. Did we ever talk about it on an episode? I don't even think no, we did. We have not dedicated an episode to it. And I'm I would surprised. say we've, we've got some great crossover here. I like a recommended if you like. If you read Supergirl being super, check out Superman American Alien. And if you read Superman American Alien, read Supergirl being super. Um, there's there's uh, that just tie into the adolescence of these cousins from Krypton, of course, mm -hmm. but also the Joelle Jones tie-in right there. I didn't I didn't even know she was one of the artists that uh, that worked on this until you just now mentioned her. Um, so yeah, I mean that's uh, well, and and real quick too, Jay Lee is also oh, yeah. an artist on uh, Before Watchmen, Ozymandias, which I, right. I talked about very very recently. Um, so you'll see you know, as you're as you're reading that chapter, all of a sudden you're like, wait, this looks like Ozymandias. It's because Jay Lee. Or Jaili um, uh, did the did the art, and that yes. particular issue, that particular chapter, I should say, is where Clark first runs into Batman, and it is it is very satisfying. Interesting, and and Jay Lee is also the uh, was the artist on at least several of the arcs of Batman and Superman. Yeah, um, that book, and and yeah, his work is stunning. Um, <clears throat> I'll go a different direction, back to the indie stuff, I guess, if you can call image indie, even though it's huge. Um, I have talked about Saga on a number of occasions. This is a book that um, it's, it's one of those that's kind of annoying in that everyone who reads a lot of comics agrees you should be reading this one. Um, although I don't think you are. I don't think you're reading no, it. But um, I haven't started. It's not for any not for any lack of no, interest. Right. I just I it's one of those books that I kind of want to clear plate before I really I, get into it. I have the same feeling about the next book on your list. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Saga is a sci-fi tale, and it starts out. It's being narrated by the baby who eventually becomes a, a small child. Um, she's telling the story of her parents. You know, presumably when she's old enough to talk. Um, so there's sort of thought bubbles of this child telling the story of her, how her parents met and they were on opposite sides of a war between a planet and its moon and just this sort of dumb uh, racial divide, you know, where the, 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 the people with the horns um, that live on the planet don't like the people with the wings that live on the moon or something. <laughs> and um, But you might take from that volume one that it's going to sort of, there's going to be crossover to sort of, contemporary issues and there definitely is but this is not like a political take on anything i mean you know in in as much as like all literature is is political but it is uh it goes wild in stuff and and it's just one of those wonderful books where the artist and the writer are collaborating so closely and throwing things back and forth and it's um you know so there, there's like a, a a race of aliens that are royalty and all their heads are basically television sets um, and it is, you know, it's like just wild stuff like that. Like, what if there were a talking walrus that's like a fisherman that they, you know, they befriend on this other weird planet? And then, yeah, sure, there he is. Uh, it, so it's just every every issue, every volume, I should say, is um, bonkers. It's definitely one of those where I, it, because of the way the first couple of volumes went with this specific resistance story, I thought it was going to... I thought it had a wrap up in mind and now I'm not so sure. Uh, and I haven't really checked in on the, you know, the news of it to see where they've wrapped up, but I just love saga art Who's writing. Boy, I knew you'd put me on the spot with that. Um, <laughs> I, uh, I'm vamping quickly while it's, uh, isn't it Kieran Gill? Wait, am I Brian wrong? No, it's Brian Cave on Fiona Staples is there the we go. artist. There we go. Yeah. Um, yeah. 
Cool. So, well, like you said, the next book is is equally sprawling, equally, you know, it's been running just almost as long. I think it may have started around the same time Saga did. Um, also an image, it is East of West. And, you know, this is probably the, you know, Nightly News is, is my favorite Hickman title just as a, as a work. But East of West is what really, I think, truly got me back into comics full steam back in 2014 end of 2014, I ended up picking up uh, the one shot East of West, the world uh, just kind of by happenstance over Christmas in 2014. I was just like, I want all of this. And I think they had put out three trade paperbacks at that point. So I immediately bought volumes one, two, and three and just fell in love with both Hickman's writing and Dragada's art. Nick Dragada uh, illustrates it. And it's, it is clearly, and they've admitted this, it's clearly one of those titles where there is a give and take, you know, Nick Dragata draws what he wants to draw. Hickman writes what he wants to write. And they sort of craft each, uh, you know, each arc, each episode, each issue to that end. Um, and it's just a perfect synthesis of those two guys. Like the, and they really get each other on a, on a level that I just really love. You were going to say there, there is an end in sight for that, right? Like they, yeah. when it's wrapping up. Cause this is oh, yeah. where I've read volume one. And was like, oh my god, I'm gonna become obsessed with this. I gotta hold back. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I think they have since put out. Th- I think they're on the third omnibus, which yeah. is like uh, the East of West. You know, like the. I think they collect four trade paperbacks and do an omnibus. So yeah, they're getting close. Um, year. Th- oh, it's years. So it's three years of the apocalypse. Basically, story. If you're if you're interested, I talk about it a lot on episode sixty six. But if you're interested in a quick hit, basically, it is an alternate timeline where. Um, you know, right after the Civil War was fought, a big asteroid hits, which is essentially Kansas City, Missouri, and kind of stops everything in its tracks. Fast forward to a point where the South never, you know, they, basically there was a stalemate. So the South became its own country. The United States, the northern uh, uh, colonies became their own country or just stayed the United States. The kingdom of Louisiana um uh, became just basically the kingdom basically became Wakanda for all intents and purposes. The free slaves formed their own kingdom. Um, Texas, of course, split off and formed its own country, the Republic of Texas. Uh, the Chinese ended up invading the West coast and created the um, new, uh, the PRA, the people's Republic of Asia or mm. America, Asia or America. But it's basically, you know, the, the Chinese have taken over the entire West coast. And in a really, this is what really hooked me. The American Indians, uh, I think Red Cloud, yeah, Red Cloud pulled the Genghis Khan and united all of the tribes under one banner, and the American Indians formed the Endless Nation. And when they did that, they put aside their spiritual um, shamanism and sort of their, their holistic approach and became just utterly obsessed with technology to the point where they became the technological leaders and manufacturers and innovators of the entire world. Yeah. They're so, almost the Wakanda. <laughs> they are almost the Wakanda, but there's a lot of the kingdom of, of, yeah. of, of, of that looks very Wakanda esque too. Um, but it's really, it, it, so you have this dynamic going on. And meanwhile, the four horsemen of the apocalypse come back sans death and so the three of them are running around as kids trying to bring about the end times while death who looks a lot like Clint Eastwood or Josh Halloway in white um, <laughs> is, is running around for his own. He's got his own kind of purpose too. So this is, it's a Western, it's sort of a neo-punk or future punk Western. It's got just, it's, it is the perfect synthesis and blend of a lot of different genres. You know, unlike what's that stupid Daniel Craig, uh, oh, uh, Cowboys and Aliens. It is not like that at all. You know, when you hear like, you know, te- you've kind of futurist Western, it's, it is, it works 
Put that really, out of your mind. <laughs> you put that out of your mind forevermore. We'll pretend, um, we'll pretend I, the director I of Iron Man didn't do that in between Iron Man's. <laughs> My God, I cannot. I, I forget that that happened. Well, and it's also didn't. Um, oh, who's the dude who wrote law? Who co-wrote? Who co-show ran Lost? Um, the glasses guy. Uh, oh, Damien Lindelof. Damien Lindelof. Yeah, he was involved too, and no one learned their lesson apparently. But East to West. Oh my God, it's. B- b- trust me, this is one of those series. Oh, and by the way, Amazon is freaking making it a show. Um, oh, yeah. which would be either the greatest thing I've ever seen or the most disappointing thing I've ever seen outside of, of American gods. So hopefully they get it right. <laughs> it's going to be sprawling and wonderful and bon- it's bonkers. It's wonderful. It's, it's got heart. It's got amu- amazing action sequences and it's, and Dragata just crushes the drawing, the illustration throughout the entire oh, yeah. color is just perfect. Just perfect. So anyway, um, yeah, yeah, we definitely mentioned that on many episodes, but number 66 for an in-depth look at volume one. Uh, I got another image title that I actually haven't mentioned in, uh, you know, in, in recent episodes as much because it's it's finished its run. Yeah. Um, but in early episodes, uh, specifically our second episode, which we titled uh, 0.5, um, is this book called Chew by John Lehman and Rob Guillory. It's on image. Uh, and the reason we had a 0.5 just for some more history during this episode 100 is that we did episode zero, which we thought was like our pilot. And then we said, you know what, let's just do a full comic books episode. So we chatted for like, who knows, 90 minutes or something. And the damn thing got cut off in the middle of it. And I don't think we knew until we went to mix it. And at the time we had all these technical, you know, this was this long way around mixing our episodes um, so we ended up putting out sort of half of that conversation, just calling it a 0.5. And then a couple episodes later, we, we tried to redo all the comics that got cut off. Um, so I definitely talked about Chu then it's about a detective, um, whose last name is Chu, uh, C-H-U. Um, but he has these sort of superpowers, even though they're not really like superpowers they're more like mystical power. I don't know. Maybe they are superpowers. I don't know, but they're food involved. Whatever he tastes, he can learn the entire history of it. Um, so chew is a pun. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but at, then you come to find out that everyone in this uh, world, not everyone, but like there is a, a bunch of people that have food related uh, powers. Uh, you know, there's there's this girlfriend that can write about food. She's a critic and she can write about food in a way that makes you literally taste it in your mouth. Yeah. Um, and then you f- start to find out that all of Chu's family you know, they have different powers and it, it's sort of, there's like the zombie sort of tie in uh, because he can, you know, he can eat like a dead person and find out how they died, which helps him as a detective. There's then they, of course they bring in vampires cause they basically do nothing but eat people as well. Um, and it is just, it is bonkers. There are so many crazy Easter eggs in the art. Um, it has this really unique, like sketchy kind of style. That's re- just really angular and loose. Um, and it's, you know, it's really funny, but it, it has all the stuff from image that you might expect, like, or that you want to, to feel in a zany book like this, like there's conspiracies and there's aliens and there's, you know, weird governmental bureaucracy that, you know, he's working for the, the food and drug administration, I think. And they like carry guns, you know, it's like a (laughs) militarized food police. Mm. Um, it is just nuts. And it went 12 volumes. Um, I actually have purposefully not even read the last two or three, I think, because I it, like 
like uh, like a fine meal. I want to savor it. Um, mm -hmm. So uh, yeah, I I have talked about you a lot, and will probably do so in the future. <laughs> I'm you brought up. I forgot you. I mean, you used to reference it quite a bit. So yeah. Quite fitting to have on this list right here. Um, another one that I reference quite a bit is the wicked and the divine. And that is, you know, you talk about pop hits in the comics world, you know, like the, the, you know, the, the, the number one song in the country right now, like this has got to be one of them. This is, you say the wicked and the divine to a certain, you know, a large swath of comics readers, especially young um, and largely female too, I've noticed. It, it, there is a fervor for Wicked and Divine that I I rarely see in other comics, which is shocking that they haven't yet figured out the TV show. They were supposed to be developing it, and I don't know whatever happened to that. And it's it, they need to make this thing. Um, it is I don't even know what to say. It, it, every every several years, um, uh, a certain number of gods reincarnate as young people, and they have two years to live before they all die. And in this particular iteration, they've come back as pop stars. And, you know, which, no pun intended, that's actually appropriate considering that the whole thing's a pop, kind of a pop hit anyway. But they, <laughs> they, they come back as pop stars, and there's this young girl named Laura who's kind of our avatar into that world. And they've been running now, good Lord, this, I think, they're, like East of West, they are also wrapping up. They're in their final arc. Um, I think they'll be East of West to the finish line, but... Um, hmm. It is, uh, it is wonderful. Now, there's a couple uh, volumes in between where it got really muddy. You know, volumes one and two are fantastic, really tight, good, amazing storytelling. Volumes three, four, five get a little muddy. But since about volume six and seven, it's really started to, to, to pick back up again. It's really focused again. Um, so go back and listen to episode 95, a very recent episode. I get into a recent volume, but I talk about the series at large. And uh, yeah, Wicked and Divine. I mean, it's a good, it's one of those, you know, when you think about image comics in the 2010s, you think obviously Walking Dead. Um, you think of, <laughs> you think East and West, you think Saga, and you think Wicked and Divine. All, I mean, those are their, I think they're heavy hitter titles. Yeah. I, um, and, and another one I would, I would, I think is a, an upcoming heavy hitter for image. Uh, it's sort of like Saga in that I, I just find so many people that are like, yeah, of course I read that. Um, and that is Paper Girls which uh, starts out in the 1980s um, with this group of girls that deliver papers. Um, and it's specifically on Halloween night that they have to, you know, they have to go deliver the papers on bicycle at like four in the morning. Um, and some strange things happen uh, involving like some aliens and some creatures and some time travel. And it fits so well with, uh, you know, what we've seen in Stranger Things since then, um, uh, it does not capitalize so much on the eighties nostalgia because it is immediately like volume two there in a totally different time. And they're getting, you know, different people are getting stranded in different times and different things are happening. And it, it is, um, it's, it's so interesting to me uh, because it goes in ways that you just can't predict. Uh, I talked about volume three on episode number 47. Um, so I would say check in with that because I feel like that was sort of the volume that, that hooked me back again. Like, you know, I volume one, I loved. And then volume two, I was like, I don't know where this is headed. And then when three happened, I went, Oh, this is bonkers. I'm in, you know, uh, and just strapped myself in. So I, I'll leave it at that. Cause I want to, I want to kind of uh, leave the the mystery there. Well, <laughs> but, I also point out that the paper girls has a very specific illust like uh, drawing style. That's very, um, very unique and very fitting, I think for the material. So yeah. if, you, if you want a good, unique, very different, very specific uh, art art style or art direction. Uh, pick it up for that that alone. And it's Cliff 
Chang, and I can't remember what else he's done that we've talked about, but it, this is another Brian K. Vaughn written title. So <laughs> recommend it if you like Saga. I'm going to do I'm gonna, the next two titles I'm going to do together because they are titles yeah. we talk about a lot. And strangely, we have never done an individual episode reviewing either, mainly because we just talk about them all the goddamn time. I kind of feel like that's that's almost served served the books, but totally. Uh, and and we talk about how we should do a dedicated episode. Yeah, so <laughs> you know, we shouldn't because we talk about it so much. Very rarely do we do an episode where, where we review a book where we don't reference in some way, shape, or form either Watchmen um, or The Dark Knight Returns. We did it in this episode, in fact. So you know, when you talk about the best graphic novels of all time, the most literary graphic novels of all time. Watchmen and Dark Knight Returns are usually on that list, if not always on that list. Watchmen, of course, um, uh, Alan Moore, and I just forgot his name, Dave Gibbons, Jesus. Yeah, yeah, Gibbons. And then uh, uh, Frank Miller, obviously, Dark Knight Returns, with some other folks involved on both. But yeah, DC, that was DC in the 80s. And man, they were they were pushing the limits long before image came around and started to really show us what comics could be DC in the eighties was just crushing it. Um, and I and think, I think you got to compare it to Marvel in the eighties too, and say they were crushing it in a way that Marvel was not, not at all. And yeah. then, and this is keep in mind, dark Knight returns and Watchmen was even before um, uh, Arkham Asylum, which really pushed the boundaries in like ways that I'm not even still comfortable yet um, taking on. So like DC was just, DC was on an avant-garde little role in the 80s uh, due to a number of things. If you ever want to get into that, the Blu-ray for The Watchmen has a really great documentary um, about the book, but it also delves into heavily the climate at the time, the creators at the time, and, and who was involved in really stretching those limits. So pick those two books up for sure. Yeah, uh, and I when we were making our list, I'd sort of organized these last three together because oh, I, um, I think because there is such not not just the DC connection but the Batman connection. Um, so I I'll let you lead into this one as well because this okay. is, I, I you know I think I've read it, but um, well hit well, I, hit I us with it. it. I own yeah. it. It's the Killing Joke. Yeah. And- you famously, if you listen to the show the entire way through, first, God bless you. But secondly, <laughs> you may remember an episode where Todd, Todd went to Comic-Con and saw the uh, kind of the day premiere, the premiere <laughs> Killing Joke uh, animated movie and was not happy with, with it. And I was just, I was a little, not a little, I was very disappointed considering that the book is actually very good. Written by, again, Alan Moore um, and Brian Boland did the art. I have in my hands... The updated color, which I prefer, which is that's right, largely controversial. Um, to give you some clarity, the original coloring was a lot more neon and and harsher color tones, and a lot more sort of uh, just very contrasty. The updated color is way more earth tones, almost like a noir in some ways. You know, it's not black and white, but it's got much more muted tones. I prefer it. I think it it settles the story nicely, um, gives it a little bit more seriousness. Uh, but this, it's a very short book. It's not long. Yeah. I mean, think about Watchmen, Dark Knight Returns. Those are heavy, he- you know, massive books. This is very short. It's almost like a single issue in length. Um, yeah. But it's you know what happens when the Joker. You know, it, it, you kind of get a Joker origin story, and then you also get uh, a side, you know, a, a, a present day story of what happens when the Joker escapes Arkham and tries to teach Batman 
how one bad day can ruin somebody. And in this case, that somebody is Commissioner Gordon. Yeah. So I don't want to spoil anything else. It has one of the most. I'm pretty sure we spoiled it in episode number 20. <laughs> we, 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 we totally did. But it also has one of the most controversial endings as, of a book that is deliberately vague. But if you know the people who wrote it and you know, if, you, if you're in the know, there's an ending you can take away that's pretty definitive. But if you're not, you can still take away it. You can take away a lot of different things. I would say that ending, uh, there is now a canonized version of it, I believe. Because oh, okay. in a recent uh, uh, Tom King issue, uh, written by Tom King, um, yeah, I believe he refers to that ending and kind of settles the question. It's interesting. What does he say? Um, that he that he spared him. That he just that that Batman laughed with him, and uh, oh, and then let him I go. Don't like that at all, I hate that. I see. For me, you got you've got the Dark Knight Returns as one like like the entire history of Batman is kind of like a choose your own adventure book. So Grant Morrison put it really wonderfully. He's like, you can almost take every decade of Batman as like a section of his life. Like the sixties, you know, with the Adam West Batman was like all psychedelic. Batman was, you know, Bruce Wayne was in his early twenties, you know, everything was getting a little weird. And, you know, you, you started seeing like the actual, like onomatopoetic, on poetic, um, you know, right. when he hit somebody, he saws that, you know, sees that. And, and you can kind of go through the era and, and stitch up a nice, you basically all the Batman stories are relevant until you get to Dark Knight Returns and the killing joke, which are almost like, you know, you're choosing your own adventure. Like does Batman you know, live to a ripe old age and then have an existential crisis? Does he, you know, try to make amends with the Joker and end up killing him? Or in the case of our final pick, the white Knight, does he reveal himself to the world uh, to try to deescalate everything that he's caused. All three of these books, The Dark Knight Returns, The Killing Joke, and The White Knight are almost like three endings to the Batman story based on what you want to see. You pick your own ending, and they're all wonderfully valid, but The White Knight might be my favorite. because that- I, I love the way you're putting that. Yeah, that's really interesting to think about. These are the three endings. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's a choose. It's choose your own adventure. So you can like, you know, if you're like, I wonder what what would have been like if Batman had just killed because if he killed the Joker at the end of the Killing Joke, which I, it's my opinion that he does. The police are showing up, like the police are coming, right then and there. So they're going to see that he killed the Joker, and that's going to be the end of Batman. And you don't need to, you don't physically need to see everything from there because it's it's going to be really depressing. So in the case of the White Knight, you get a little taste of that because the White Knight flips the script and shows you. Ja- uh, the Joker becomes Jack Napier. He finds a way to not be the Joker anymore, and he, he reverts to his normal, um, sane self, which is – I love that he's named Jack Napier after the Jack Nicholson uh, yeah. character in the Batman movie, which is really funny. Um, and then Batman almost goes crazy as a result. So they, they, they almost flip because Batman can't handle the fact that everybody's treating Jack Napier like a normal, regular dude with nothing up his sleeve at all. He's just an upstanding citizen. That's making Bruce Wayne crazy. And he starts making really terrible decisions. And we uh, talk about the White Knight on episode 71. And it is, it is probably, I mean, dare I say, was it our favorite thing of last year? I think it came close. Uh, yeah, it's hard for me to think of anything that was bigger than that. Um uh, I wish it just, I guess it just wasn't fully in the year. It wrapped up in 2018, but I think it actually started. You are correct. For, um, but yeah, it was, it was huge and it was just art was beautiful as well. I'm kicking myself. Sean Murphy. Yep. I was wondering. Sean Murphy wrote and drew it with help from Matt Hollinsworth. Yeah. And, uh, it is, 
Oh my God. Like that episode, we just, we love on that book for an entire hour on episode 71, but you know, the, the way the colors are perfect, the way he draws Gotham. Oh my City gosh. Yeah. It's perfect. Everything is just, he, I mean, Sean Murphy, I, I would love to read any of his Batman takes from now. Like he should be the only guy allowed to write Batman for the next five years. <laughs> I just, think that's how the Tom King fans feel. Oh, really? Well, <laughs> I mean, um, and, and Tom King's been on it for a long time. Uh, I don't think he did a bad job, uh, but I've read a couple of Tom King arcs and they, they did not draw me into reading more arcs, but I think that's more because of the, the continuing nature of it, which is the thing we talk about all the time in this podcast is like, you know, if you've been writing the Batman for five years, I, I just, I don't know. I'm not into that soap opera for that long. You know, I just, I, and, 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 uh, you know, uh, full disclosure, the arc, the Tom King arcs I've read of Batman are leading up to the wedding to Catwoman. So okay. it's specifically like soap opera esque in certain moments. So I, I shouldn't be judging the, the body of Tom King's work, but, but I just think it's that thing of like, man, if you've written, you know, if there's 10 volumes memorializing what you've written for one you know, in one series of arcs, it's kind of hard to know where to jump in, which is what we love so much about White Knight and Killing Joke and Dark Knight Returns is they are those just sort of glimpses in. You're just sort of popping in and out. And especially in the case of Killing Joke, you don't really know what to think when you when you pop out of it. How did this end? Yeah. Um, and, you know, then along comes Tom King to settle it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and somebody else will come after him to settle it again. So it's, you know. I know. It's, we talked about this. I, I want to say in the crisis episode, which was our last episode, number 99. Um, and it's a recurring theme here on those long running titles. And so it's great to wrap up with three new takes on a long running character. Um, uh, because I, I, I would just prefer this. There's a weird thing happening with continuity where the killing joke, actually there's an event in it that became canon. And it was very controversial at the time. And it's maybe the, you know, it's still echoing around the DC universe. Um, and especially when they did their rebirth a few years ago and they returned to the original Batgirl. So basically what they did is uh, Joker shoots Barbara Gordon and paralyzes her. And mm -hmm. DC decided to make that canon and not a Elseworlds kind of thing and just say, hey, Batgirl has been paralyzed by this bullet. Um, but it gave her this interesting new arc as Oracle and the leader of the birds of prey. Um, and I loved that. I loved that character and I loved the new bat girls. And I, I always talk about this. I mean, they're both great Cassandra Kane and uh, Stephanie Brown, but I love the Stephanie Brown arc that happened in the new 52. And just, it was so cool to see Barbara as the mentor, you know, and see her as like the Batman character, how Batman mentors his Robins, even though he just keeps getting them killed. Um, and it was, uh, uh, like it was just very cool. And then they decided to retcon all that with the rebirth and put Barbara back in the Batgirl suit. And, but somehow the killing joke still happened and it's being mentioned in this, you know, Tom King arc. And it's like, Oh my gosh, like what? <laughs> throw the whole continuity out. We know who Batman is. You know, yeah, Just tell yeah. stories in short versions like white Knight because that was so cool to see. Oh, so, yeah. it, it, to your point, I don't necessarily want more of your stories in the world of the white knight i just want sean murphy to touch more of these like sean murphy gets the aesthetic of batman probably better than yeah. anything else i've ever seen ever and it's like i would love to see him maybe go back and do another one-shot story for maybe earlier yeah. 
or you know, maybe show us what a good, I mean, I'd love to see a really good Riddler story. Uh, oh, Sean Murphy's um, tutelage, you know, like uh, they do this beautiful thing in white Knight where they sideline every other major uh, Rose gallery villain in a really, like, in a way that makes sense. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> wow. I was like, wait, what are you thinking? They're all in there, but no, the way they dispatch. Yeah. But they're not like, you know, cause if, if they were all allowed to kind of run around, there would be, it would be really hard to tell the story. So right away they do right. this clever thing to kind of put them in a box um, that, that works very well, but I'd love to see Sean Murphy do the riddle. Like we haven't had, and you tell me that scream bloody murder, it's, you know, at your speaker, if this is not true, have we ever had like the definitive Riddler story yet? Like in the uh, same way, we've had these really good Joker stories. Have we had like, Oh my God, this is the Riddler story to beat all Riddler story. Like, have we had that yet? I don't know. I can't think of one. Um, you know, the, uh, I love his portrayal in the Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale books, which uh, I put on this list, and then we decided not to talk about things that we might talk about in upcoming episodes. That's true. Yeah. But in Long Halloween, I, I liked his depiction, but I, as I recall, he does not end up being it – is, it is not a Riddler story. It is another rogues gallery story. Yeah. So, okay. yeah, I mean, that's a good point. He is – there, man, and it's you're making me – you're making my brain go crazy because in that arc – the in the okay so in the in the wedding issue in the wedding volume um of the batman that just came out like a couple weeks months ago or whatever um there's a joker joker's prominent through it throughout and there's a scene where joker mentions the laughter and you know he's referring to the killing joke but he also talks about uh he's saying this to catwoman he says did edward ever tell you his theory about me and so they're talking about how the riddler had like a psychologist's opinion on joker and was telling the other rogues about it. <laughs> and it's a cool moment you know um but yeah that's a that's a good question uh please if you as a listener know of any great riddler story let us know we I'll would tell you, really be interested if we're ever going to get a batman movie again and i hope it's a while before we do yeah. um if we do long while if it, they have got to find a way to make it p a pure, straight-up detective story where the Riddler's the main antagonist. Oh yeah, it's almost you know like almost in the vein of Kevin Spacey in Seven, where he's it may doesn't have to be as gruesome, but he's set up these all these puzzles for Batman to solve, and it's not it's not you know there's no high technology. I mean, you can have some of the gadgets and stuff too, but it's mainly him solving this giant mist. Like I want to see the intellectual batman movie that we've never yeah. got yet you just um, made me angry all over again that there's another joker movie coming out <laughs> I, I am on i am in the rare minority of people who am actually i'm okay with this joaquin phoenix joker movie give it to me because they're actually making they're 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 making it all so different that it's like well let's see let's see what it looks like when it's this different i mean i may eat those words but you know we'll, we'll see we got a lot of, we have a lot to look forward to yeah now. Teen Todd, a Let's, lot. You know what else? Let's look forward to 100 more episodes. <laughs> uh, let's do. Yeah. And we'll probably get there. Since we've been on a weekly uh, schedule, we'll probably get there even sooner than, than this one. This was, this took a good couple years to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, let's give a caveat being that when Game of Thrones last season comes out, our attention will be fully distracted. <laughs> That's true. That's true. We may have to go on a slight hiatus, or at least uh, uh, you may you may hear a lot of Game of Thrones episodes inserted into panelism uh, to <laughs> get you, you listen to that show. So, have you started your rewatch yet? 
I've been waiting. I've been waiting until oh, probably man. probably mid February because I once I do, I'm not going to do anything else. So I need to. I be... jumped in. I'm already on season two. Okay. <laughs> I don't know if I can take it. I don't know if I can take all those like you know the intense <laughs> man. But so when Josh think... is back in it, you know when he's oh, back right. and you're just like all you're doing is just waiting for him to get killed. I mean, there's. Oh man, I honestly watching him be a, such a dick in season one. I had this very vivid memory of watching the purple wedding with my friends when no one expected something so dramatic to happen so early in a season. Mm-hmm. And just my joy at watching their reaction to Joffrey die. was Oh, that was such a good moment. So I did at least experience that. I was like, this guy's a dick, but I can remember my friends freaking out about that and me just feeling so happy. Um, I, I'll say my recommendation is don't just watch the last season. Go back and watch the whole thing because there are so many things planted in the early seasons that have paid off later that it is awesome. Ned (laughs) telling Jon Snow, the next time I see you, I'll tell you about your mother. And the next time he was – if he had lived, the next time that Ned Stark would have seen Jon, Jon would have been part of the Night's Watch. And as they've made it clear, the Night's Watch is beyond the uh, the ruling or the grip of the king. The king could not have um, – um, uh, what the hell is Stannis' brother's name? Who's the original king? Um, Robert. Robert. Robert couldn't have done shit to John at that point. So Ned could have said, yeah, guess what? You're a secret target. He could have told him all the stuff that we're now finding out. Like that was part of Ned's plan. It was like, okay, I'm going to get you to the Night's Watch. You're going to be mm. safe. And then I'm going to finally tell you everything. Where, uh, uh, yeah, Robert yeah. Like, Ned was protecting a Targaryen while Robert was slaughtering Targaryens. Yes. Yeah. In episode one, we get we learn. Yeah. I think yeah. episode one, yeah, we learn this, and it's like, oh my Christ! Like they telegraph that, and and to be well, if you want to hear more about Game of Thrones. And our take on it. Go find Wednesday (laughs) in Westeros. It is a wonderful show on the Panelism Network. We are, I think we've done three or four seasons of it. And we will be doing the final season to coincide with the final season of Game of Thrones. And we can't wait. And so uh, join us there too. We'll we'll definitely be talking more GOT. Yeah. And we'll probably get into it pretty soon because I got thoughts. But (laughs) in the meantime, meantime. let's sign off. This has been an epic podcast. Number 100. Yay, my reggae Yay. horn is not loaded up. I can't hit the reggae horn. Um, boop, boop, boop. Um, <laughs> where can people find us? <laughs> you can find us on Instagram. We are at, uh, we are panelism.inc. That's our username. We're also on Pinterest now. We are just simply panelism. And our website is panelism.inc. That's www.panelism.inc where you can find all of our episodes, every episode we referenced on this show. Um, go back, uh, you know, go into the back catalog, relive some of our reviews. If there's a book that we talked about, um, Todd was really good about uh, assigning, uh, figuring out all the episodes where we talked about these books. So if you want to hear our full take on anything we talked about today, go back, enjoy the back catalog of panelism that's all there for you. And uh, yeah, I, I want to echo your sentiment. I, it's been a really good hundred episodes. I, it's only going to get better from here. I think we're, you know, we're really hitting a, a really fun stride now. So I think uh, sure. 2019 is going to be a lot of fun. And I will, uh, just as you said that, I will drop this uh, guide we have to our episodes in the show notes for Great. number 100. So that should, that should give you a little guidebook on, on where to jump to next. Yeah, and uh, until the next episode, sir, uh, happy reading to you and to our listeners, and I'll see you then. All right. Uh, Here's to 100 more. Bye.